Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. My name is Stephanie Hupka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach, as well as a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Eames, Vice President of Marketing and Communications. We also have Helena Hodges, our Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. And for this episode, we are interviewing Jane Bozarth. Welcome, Jane. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so excited to have you here. I am especially excited about our topic today. Although before we get in, I would love it if you would tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about you. Uh, Let's see. I live in Durham, North Carolina with um, my human named Kent and our dog uh, Corgi named Thomas. I started out many years ago as a classroom trainer and I I evolved as the business evolved. I went from classroom to e-learning to social media-ish stuff. And along the way, I got uh, a master's degree in technology-based training and then a doctorate in uh, training and development. And when that happened, I was ready to change gears after many years in the straight up training design delivery business, development business. And I am now the uh, director of research for the Learning Guild. And my job there is to produce a research report once a month. And it's really in my wheelhouse and it lets me use all that doctoral training. Let's see, my dissertation was on uh, social learning communities of practice. I have done several books on e-learning design and development and general training, instructional design kind of stuff. I speak at a lot of events, and I'm glad that we are out of the pandemic so I can travel again. What I think that's about it. I think I, that's it. That's the quick. That's the quick hits for me. That is a great list, and it sounds like you are the perfect person to have here to talk about social learning with all of us today. I don't think we could have picked anybody better. So I'm thrilled you're here. Social learning is one of my favorite topics. In fact, the very first time I ever presented in front of a group of people, it was about social learning. It was a long time ago. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I remember the most about that is that everybody in the room had a different definition of what social learning was. I would love to start there. Give us yours. How do you define or approach social learning? Well, let me start by saying, I think if you ask that question about learning in general, you would also never get three <laughs> answers that we would think. That's I mean, true. I think that that they're just kind of these nebulous terms. And those of us in this business tend to think of learning with a cap, big capital L yeah. where everybody else is thinking about it in terms of solving a problem, getting getting my day completed, finishing something I'm working on. Uh, when I when we think about social learning, I saw it especially start to get tangled up with the ideas around social media. Social media are tools that can enable social learning, but they are just support tools for that. In my view, social learning is pretty much how we learn everything. Uh, operant conditioning, touching a hot stove notwithstanding. I mean, I acknowledge that that exists. We, we learn by living in the world with each other. That's how we learn to speak our native language. Your parents don't sit you down and teach you to conjugate verbs. You learn by living in a house around people who are talking and you pick it up as you go and you make mistakes and nobody overreacts too much. And you, well, you're your fifth grade teacher. And then you, you know, you can move on from that. Um, it, it's how you learn 
um, to get along in school and, and deal with peer pressure and make friends and learn to cope with a teacher. And we, you know, again, it's just by moving around in your own environment. And then that happens too in the workplace because you may go to formal training, you may be sat down for orientation and you may get yourself onboarded, right, as they say. But you you have to learn through moving through your environment and learning, being around other people. You have to learn which boss can take a joke and which one can't. You have to learn which coworker will overpromise and underdeliver. You have to learn which coworker will smile in your face and then maybe not smile behind your back. I mean, those are all it's it's the it's like breathing. It's the way it's the way we learn everything as we move throughout the world. And, and I, I think sometimes one of the things we misunderstand, it's not necessarily being sat down in a focus group and writing on chart paper. It's It can be that, but but a lot of it is, it's very informal. And I think that in our business, we struggle with that because it's hard to document and it's hard to measure and it's hard to count how it happens. But most of the time, if you ask people how they learn something, they first of all, either have no idea or it's because they were with Bill or they were talking with Sally or their mom showed them or their grandma did it. I think I'm rambling, but Mm-mm. social learning is a, it's a big bucket of, of how we learn. Yeah. Oh, well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what would, uh, so what would social learning look like in organizations um, in a structured way for those of us in learning and development? We used to talk about water cooler conversations, which is kind of a dated idea, even for me. For one thing, I worked for the state. They didn't give us water cooler. (laughs) Such a luxury. You had water. You were allowed to have water. Um, But a lot of it is it's like I said, you 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 interact with certain supervisors and you pick up the rules of the workplace. You interact with certain coworkers and you learn or not Mm -hmm. and you learn the right things or not about how to complete the paperwork or who you need to talk to to get a check cut or or that kind of thing um i think to to your point though to to more specifically to your point we have to find ways of helping people talk to each other we have to find ways and spaces particularly now especially with everybody you know so many people working remotely we have to give people opportunities to just interact with each other better than we do and it's not necessarily in an agenda with a meeting I can be. It's not necessarily. I, t- I tell you one thing I find interesting because I've done a lot of consulting over the years on on this topic. Actually, I, I've been called into organizations where they want people to use some social tool they've bought, like the LMS comes with discussion boards, or mm-hmm. or they've got Yammer or something like that. And those are great tools, but I'll go in the, in the organization. Everybody's got their doors shut. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if they're not already engaging and finding ways to talk to each other and figuring out how they can have some of those less structured conversations or less intentional, maybe intentionally around learning conversations, you know, adding a tool isn't going to change that. Buying an LMS with a discussion board isn't really going to change that. So, you know, my question to them is, why don't they want to talk? Why aren't they talking Mm. to each other? So making sure they have room and space. My dissertation, which I mentioned when we were going to get when we got going, was on a very vibrant community of practice I belong to, where we got together. It was it was classroom trainers across the state, government, state, state, and local government trainers. We had quarterly meetings. We had an annual conference. We did not yet have email. That's how long ago that was. So the way that we got to talk to each other was either by phone or at these at these live meetings. And we were fortunate to have organizations that supported and allowed that. 
And the goal of those meetings was to, to, I mean, the goal of a community of practice is to get better at your practice. It's not just to hang out and, and, you know, chat, although there was plenty of that. So finding, finding more ways to enable and enhance and support the opportunities, I think, for better communication. One of the drums I beat, and it's one of my books, people who are watching this probably know this, it's called Show Your Work. It is about how we can make our work more visible how to make it more accessible so that people can see what we're working on so that you don't have to learn everything the hard way so that, um, and so that, you know, I think all of us have had an experience where we've worked on something and found out somebody else in the organization had already done it. Yeah. Or somebody in another department had something similar, or you, you struggled to learn how to do something, particularly when we started looking at things like e-learning authoring tools and doing more sophisticated work with PowerPoint. People would struggle for days to learn how to do some simple interaction. You'd find out somebody down the hall, you know, took a course in it. So finding ways to connect the dots and helping people make those connections and have those conversations, I, I think is really crucial. And I'm going to get in trouble for this, but sometimes middle management stops that we have roadblocks. We have people in an organization who intentionally are maintaining silos because they're all struggling. And I get, I get what happens. They're, they're struggling for resources. They're vying for, for the talent. They don't want too much sharing going on. And so there's almost a tension between workers who really want to share and want to help each other out and other forces in an organization trying to restrain that. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. It does. And, I have certainly seen a lot of that where you get this resistance, this idea that if people are doing something that might be considered social, are they actually focused? Are they actually engaged? And I think many of us know, yes, of course they are. We see it. We experience it. We also like to do it. I'm curious if you have any thoughts or strategies on what you can do to get your leadership more comfortable with the idea of social learning or maybe address the resistance. You might have pockets of that in an organization. You also may face a wall of it where it's just, no, I'm sorry, but we've decided we're not doing Facebook during the day. And therefore, anything that might be considered social, we're going to say no to that, too. What what have you seen that's worked in that space? I think the word social gets us into trouble because people think it's pointless chit chat. It's cocktail conversation. It's just, you know, Um, and I will say mostly that when I see resistance is not from the top level. Like I said, it tends to be at the middle level where there is a reason somebody's trying to constrain, constrain something. Um, Let's see off the top of my head, some, some really wonderful things. First of all, since it's usually not upper management, get upper management involved. There are some wonderful Mm. examples of senior executives who do blogs It doesn't have to be Facebook who do blogs, who um, are happy to do quick video interviews where you can say, tell us about something that was hard to learn when you were new. Tell us about the best lesson in leadership you ever got. People love to talk about themselves. And (laughs) and if you can, tell us about a big mistake you made. Tell us about something that, that on reflection you wish you'd done differently. And help them start some of those conversations. Tell us what the hardest thing to learn was. Tell us what the most useful college course was. Tell us what the least useless college course was. So get them involved in some of these conversations. Uh, we were very lucky in the last job I had. I was um, the, the last 
training department. I was running the training department for the Justice Department in North Carolina. And we were very lucky because our leaders, the attorney general, attorneys general, were usually the people who were going to end up being governor. So they liked they liked the publicity. They liked anything we could do to showcase them. And they would almost always, if they were around, would pop by orientation, would make sure they met everybody, would encourage would ask people what they were doing, why they were excited to be there. So inviting those conversations is is one thing. Um, Another thing is trying to find some evidence that this works. Like I said, often, often people who are resistant will throw, they will throw a real predictable list at you. We can't do that because we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the equipment. We don't have the, I mean, they have all this. There was a woman at Purdue named Peg Ertmer who calls those first order barriers. (laughs) And it's a, it's a laundry list of reasons not to do something, but it's all very well. It's not outright. I don't want to. It's golly, that's a great idea, but we don't have time. We don't have money. We don't have people. We don't have debt. Right. And no matter how many of those things you solve, they come up with one more. Yeah. Right. There's always this. Oh, my gosh, you're right. We did get the money. And now, you know, (laughs) Um, so I I would say take a look at how you can get some real measures. I use an example in my own work. There's um, a a lot of the work from on communities of practice was by Jean Lave and Etienne Winger. And Winger has done a lot of work since Jean Lave has. I believe passed on. I hope I hope I'm getting that right. I hope she's alive. But I think I think we've lost her. Um, Winger did a wonderful framework for assessing the value of he was specific to online, but the value of interactions. And it's a a nice little graph you can follow that starts with what is the immediate payoff for a person engaging like this. Um, often it's because they like who they're with. They, they find the conversations energizing. They find them interesting. They feel like they're getting help they need. They're having fun, which is something we t- kind of discount, um, which is why people like Facebook and not your LMS discussion board, by the way. <laughs> right. Because they're having more fun over on Facebook. I'm like, I don't get it. So so that's the, the, where it starts is why do people engage in the first place? And then you can start looking at whether there's value. And the example I use is, is that one day I was at my desk. I was working for the state. I got a call from our vocational rehabilitation services department. They needed, the question was, We've got somebody who's blind who wants to attend a webinar. How do we accommodate that? And this was fairly early on in the age of all those, uh, you know, the the webinar and accommodations and stuff. So I should have known the answer to this, and I I didn't. Um, I could have spent half the day Googling and maybe or maybe not getting an answer. You know what? That's like I didn't really know what I was looking for. Mm. So I went to Twitter and I said, does anybody know of um, anybody got tips for accommodating visual impairments? In, I think it was WebEx, maybe it might have been Open Connect, WebEx. And immediately I had a whole bunch of answers. One of them was somebody, somebody I didn't even know, who said, Yes, WebEx has a tool for this. Here's the link. Wow. Wow. And that, and that I can take to management and say, okay. And so I was able to call Voc Rehab right back. I said, I got you the thing. Here it is. I'm, I'm emailing it now. My question back to anybody watching this is when's the last time you called a government office and had the right answer in five minutes? <laughs> if that point. is the kind of thing that. That is the kind of thing that shows value, though. It's somebody I'm engaging with an audience. I'm getting useful tools. We're reusing other people's tools, mm. right? I'm getting immediate help. I'm apl- I've learned something. I'm applying something. And I made my organization look better. So if people could attune to that a little better and start finding the proof that other people are looking for and start being more mindful about what they're learning. Um, I had a lot of luck with this. I'm sort of trying to remember what all we did. 
years ago, depending on who was in charge of who, depending on who the governor is, we always have a change in the state personnel manager, state personnel director. And they always want some form of report that's different from the one the last person wanted. So we have these weekly reports and one of the items on it was research. And people would write in, I read this book, I looked at this website, da-da-da. I got them to change that question to, what did you learn this week? Mm, wow. And the answers were very different. And it got our people thinking more about conversations about learning and acquiring something they could apply and not just, oh, I read a book, oh, I read this thing, I watched a TED Talk. So I think there are a number of things we can do. Um, I would say in conversations, though, in our business, and you all know this, Anytime we fall into saying, how can we get people to <laughs> listen, change, care, encourage? I mean, anytime we fall, I mean, we're the trainers. We're supposed to figure that out. Right. But I don't know that that's the right question. I think it's what can we put in front of them that will help change minds? Because that's the only way, you know, we're going to do that. We can argue and we can wrestle. But if you can show value like I did uh, and it's not hard. Winger, by the way, I've written about this. If you look up Winger, um, assessing the value of online interactions, you should find it on the Google. He has a whole big white paper about this, about, you know, tools you can use, how you can work it into meetings, how you can work it into performance reviews that I think would be very helpful for people who feel like they're not getting the support or opportunity they need for this. I love, wow. That's like a a treasure chest. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yes. Um, Any suggestions for those of us that are, so the instructional designers out there, facilitators um, in the classroom, things that we can do to have more social learning. I worry. Yes. And I, I worry sometimes that we get so hung up on our curricula and our mm-hmm. performance objectives and our own content that, that we don't do a very good job of asking the right questions. And by that, I mean, what do people want to talk about? Yeah. People can sit in a room for three hours and then you tell them to go to lunch and they haven't said a word all morning and they're out in the hallway chatting. Yeah. Right. It's very frustrating for those of us in the classroom. Um, I, I'm reminded that there was one time I had a coworker. <laughs> Bless his heart. As we say <laughs> oh, we know where this is going. We know what that yeah. means. Bless his heart. He was determined if we he worked over in the personnel shop and he was determined if we only had an, a, an online discussion forum for people to talk about the unlawful harassment policy, then then all our problems were going to be solved. (laughs) He actually talked IT into building this thing. And at the time, that was probably some tens of thousands of dollars of somebody's time. You know, a lot of money went into it. Wow. And then he had a whole list of rules for what you could and could say on it. <laughs> you had to agree to like 20 rules in all capital letters. Like, don't yell at people while he oh was yelling. Gosh. But anyway, so there's all this stuff. And he just couldn't understand why nobody was commenting. <laughs> but we built them. And, and, and the thing is, unless somebody is aggrieved, they don't generally want to sit around talking about the state's unlawful harassment policy. That is HR's job. That is all we're supposed to talk about. But he never really understood, you know, we needed to find things for people to talk about. We need to find ways of asking good questions. Um, 
I'll tell you one thing I did, and it's a little weird. I don't know that it's going to fly with everybody, but we had a a group. Our flagship program with the state was the the Certified Public Manager Program. It was a big deal. I think it was two years. It had a a culmination of a a project that had to be signed off at the agency senior level. So it was a big deal. It had to be have agency impact. It was a big it was a pretty big program. And people in two years, especially coming in person then for all that time, made a lot of bonds. They made a lot of friends. And many of us who've done classroom work know that everybody wants to stay in touch afterward. But they want us to do that. They want us to maintain a mailing list or us to maintain a website, right? <laughs> so what I, what we did with them, though, is that <clears throat> as the classes graduated, they wanted to stay together. We always had travel restrictions with the state. We always had, you can't use a car. We can't afford the gas. You've sure. got to stay put. And North Carolina's big. We're 550 miles. Tip to tip. People don't realize that. So we got in the habit of once a month when they wanted to meet, I would open an Adobe Connect room because that was a tool we had then. They would have chosen a topic. Sometimes there would be pre-reading. Sometimes there'd be a video. And these were middle-level managers. The people we're talking about were mid-level managers. They would have a topic like, how do you manage your own stress? How do you make good hiring decisions? Where, where does your gut play into that? Those kind of things. And I would just open the Adobe Connect room and give the host permission to the person who was running the meeting that day. And I left. Hmm. I, I left and I was around by phone if they got it, if they needed anything. But that was another that was a good example of helping them connect, finding out what they wanted to talk about and then passing that on to the people who were running the program mm-hmm. so they could start having some more of those conversations when the classes were live and together. Mm-hmm. But the other good thing was we started with the cohort who knew each other. And then as people graduated, we added more in. So they went in knowing a few people, but also part of the bigger group. And they'd all had similar experiences and similar training. So I think those kinds of things um, can be useful for the classroom instructor. But honestly, sometimes I think we just need to ask better questions, find out what they want to talk about and quit trying to hold them so tightly to every minute. Oh, don't over plan. Um, I mean, I think we've probably all been in those classes where the, the person in charge had her agenda and we were sticking to it, even By if it golly. meant, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, or, and I'm going to get in trouble again, but I'm, I'm wise and I'm, you know, I've been around a long time. <laughs> the parking lot business where people have a parking lot that they never intend to go look at again. Yeah. When we all know, oh, let's save that. Oh, absolutely. Let's well, you know, that's the thing people want to talk about. And now you're never going back to this. There's a ch- that chart papers on the wall from the 50s still there. <laughs> The worst part is when you look around the room and you see the faces of the people who know as soon as it gets written up on that sheet, we will never, ever get We're never back. talking about it again. Oh, I know. Um, I know. Yeah. And I know, you know, because I was in the classroom, sometimes things just happen and you don't know what to do in the moment. But in the aggregate, you know, keep an eye on those questions. What keeps coming up? What do they keep asking about? How can we make time for this in the next time we teach it? How can we make time for this? Maybe this is another topic because I promise you that the people that were running this program had never realized how much demand there was for a conversation about how managers manage their own stress. Yeah. There was always a lot of talk about helping your people not be stressed and how to, you know, there was never, and it was a huge topic for that, that alumni group I told you about. It came up all the time that I'm trying very hard to be calm and I'm trying not to rain down my stress on my people, but I know they feel it's a really interesting topic and nobody was talking about it in the formal program. Then I think they've added, they added something about it later. Hmm. Hmm. Well, are we at that time? 
Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think we are. I feel like I could talk about social learning with Jane for another half hour, but I, know. I realize, yes, I think we are indeed at well, that to time. to be continued, if you want yes. to learn more about Jane, we've got a lot of her resources in the episode description. Well, but here's my question. What did you learn today? Ooh, good question. Oh, wow. That is a great question. But we're going to turn it back on you. <laughs> We love social learning, but we don't want to talk about it right now. Okay. <laughs> social learning is great, but not right now. <laughs> no, we're at that, that time in every episode where we have the, the rapid fire questions. So okay. very simple questions, quick response. Are you ready? I am. Okay. I, so, I don't have a buzzer though. I kind of wish I had a buzzer. <laughs> Ding. That's what we no. should provide, a buzzer. <laughs> so uh, what is one book that everyone must read? And why? Well, apart from Jane Bozarth's obviously, yes, obviously. I would, I cannot recommend highly enough. And I'm going to get in trouble because a lot of these people are my friends. I've got two. I would say Clark Quinn's books. Uh, it's the Goldfish Book about millennials. I had it over here a minute ago, so I could read it to you. It's about blowing up learning myths in our business. Millennials, Goldfish, yada yada. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Clark. ATD published it. Okay, well, the other it one I highly recommend is Julie Dirksen's Design for How People Learn. Yes, because I think it is by far one of the most practical, applicable, common sense approaches for folks in our business, particularly those who are a little newer, particularly in the case of both these books, uh, those who have to have the conversations we've been talking about, where there's pushback, where there's resistance, where people are like, oh, just copy the policy and put it on a slide. Oh, well, remember, we have to accommodate different you know, attention spans, you know, they, they are very helpful at helping us have those conversations. My soapbox about this is I don't feel that people in our business, despite all the education many of us get, do not get any real training in assertiveness and negotiation skills. Uh, And we, we, we fall into the role of order taker because we don't know how not to, we don't know how to, we know we're not supposed to do that, but we don't know how to push back and not get fired. So I think those are both great resources, Dirksen and Clark Quinn. Awesome. Okay. What is one tool which you can define however you want to define that, that you cannot live without? I'm still a Twitter girl. I feel like the current unpleasantness is going to run its course and somebody will either get bored or leave or something. I still, um, you know, one of my frustrations when I worked for the state was that I was the only person doing what I did. I was the only, and 85,000 employees, I was the only one that was concerned about like designing e-learning in the early days and designing social media, interested in social media. So if it had not been for Twitter, where there's this huge undefined audience of people who want to talk about what I want to talk about, I don't know how, I really don't know how I would have managed. I still still like Twitter a whole lot. I still help run LearnChat the first Monday of every month where we ask, what did you learn today? (laughs) On Twitter at at 8.30 uh, Eastern and 5.30 Pacific. So I'm I'm still, I'm hanging on to Twitter. I'm not ready to let go yet. Awesome. Okay. And a final question. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? Don't be afraid of silence. Mm, I think as a classroom trainer, I was always so hot to fill in that space. And you can learn a lot by just waiting and seeing what people have to say, which kind of loops us back to the rest of our conversations. What do people want to talk about? How can we help them talk about that? And what can we take away from them? Beautifully said. 
And I wholeheartedly agree with you. There's a lot of work that's happening for learners in the silence. It's uncomfortable for us, but it's not necessarily uncomfortable for them. I'm glad you shared that. Right. I'm You're sure this will come right. as a surprise to you, but I tend to be real fast about everything. <laughs> I'm fast, fast Jane. I have a fast car. My my coworkers used to say, you, you know, we can't all move at the speed of Jane. And it's hard for me to wait, <laughs> wait for people to just catch up. And I think as a trainer, too, if it's if you ask a question, there's silence, you sort of get that panicky. Uh oh. And it's and it's even worse, to be honest with you, in virtual training, because you're so afraid of letting you're worried that silence is a tech failure that something's gone wrong. So. All right. I think I think you're absolutely right. I love the advice. And I love the fact that you made some time to chat with us today. I will tell you what I learned today. You asked that question. What I'm really taking away is that much like everything we talk about, social learning is going to be successful when you keep your learners in mind and you build something that they want to engage with. And I think you did such a fantastic job welcoming us into that mindset and reminding us that there are a lot of ways that you can be successful. But when you forget your learners, that's where things are going to start to fall apart. So I am thrilled that you were here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I was thrilled to be here. This was fun. This I, I love this conversation. I'm I'm really glad we got to have it. And of course, many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in partnering with our chapter? For more information, visit dcatd.org forward slash partnerships dash sponsorships. Check out dcatd.org for upcoming chapter events, learning programs, member benefits, and so much more. 